Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here as always. And um, it's a season of stirring and moving and saying goodbye and saying hello. It's kind of a, almost feels like a kind of shaking, a sieving um, time for us here. And uh, we've nothing, we've nothing to fear or worry about in that because we're in the hands of the Lord of heaven and earth. Um, but I thought this morning we would go back to a key foundational scripture for the church, just because at times like this, we want to stand on the bedrock, don't you? You know, you stand on them. And um, it's Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. And um, as it's quite short, I wondered if we could read it together. So it's on the screen. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We often read that passage or hear it quoted at Christmas because, of course, it's prophesying the birth of Jesus. And um, it is a shocking and a radical um, prophecy because it might be okay to call the coming Messiah wonderful counsellor and prince of peace, but to refer to him as mighty God and everlasting father um, shows that this coming one is not just human, but God as well, and that is shocking. You can't say that someone is everlasting father and mighty God. And, um, you know, it's, it's blurring the boundaries between humanity and God. And that was deeply shocking and deeply offensive then, and it, it is now. And um, nevertheless, Jesus is fully human and fully God. And the background, the underlying story... It's never far away, Old Testament or New Testament, is that God made everything. He loves us. But in the beginning, we broke our covenant with him. And ever since then, down the ages, we've been running away from God with our fingers in our ears, shouting insults over our shoulders. But God is not like us. And he pursues us in our brokenness and our dysfunction. And in these last days, says Isaiah, God will become human and share our flesh and our blood, our pain and our mess. Not just to comfort, but to redeem everything. came to love us and to share our story and to rescue us. But the focus is on him, 
rather than us. Because we are harassed and helpless. We're like sheep with no shepherd. We do not have it in ourselves to find ourselves or rescue ourselves. It is not in us to rescue ourselves. The gospel is always about grace and truth. And our age likes the grace, but struggles with the truth bit. And the very earliest Christian creed is just three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I am not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. The gospel is not me in the centre folding my arms, justly outraged by how the universe is treating me and how God can help me, bless me, provide for me, make me feel safe, secure and comfortable. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord. And that is wonderful good news. And if God is your servant in your head, he will never measure up. You will never be satisfied with God if in your head God is your servant. The gospel is Jesus for whom and through whom everything exists coming to rescue and redeem us and how I learn to begin to serve, submit, surrender to him and in doing so truly find myself. The joy and the greatness and the majesty and the wisdom of Jesus are hidden, which is why following him is an exercise of faith. If the world could see Jesus as he really is, then following him would not be an exercise of faith, because it would be obvious. But it's hidden. And we live in an age of extreme individualism, I mean really extreme individualism. Uh, And it's my observation, you have to agree with this, but it's my observation that cultures broadly go one of two ways. Either the ruling classes kind of co-opt God and kind of have God on their side and they want to say, if you're disobeying us, you're disobeying God as well. And in those kinds of cultures, God is very authoritarian um, God is portrayed very much as Lord and powerful, and you, you know, whether it's the Christian, the Christian religion, it will be those verses about submit to those in authority, and if you rebel against them, you're rebelling against God, and um, the weightier matters of justice and mercy often get conveniently kind of put to the side. That's that's one way that human cultures have of dealing with God. The, the kind of the rulers co-opt God, but, but typically it's the law, not the grace. Typically it's kind of the, the Old Testament view of God and, and not the grace and upside-down kingdom of Jesus, even if, if the words of Jesus are used. Typically, in those sorts of cultures, God is very authoritarian and it's all about judge and obedience and do what you're told. But then the other extreme is to completely trash God and show no respect and no regard for him at all, and just kind of 
tear up every boundary he's made, do exactly what you want. It's all about you. You are in the center. You are special. You are the center of the universe. And, you know, what God thinks about is neither here nor there. And probably there isn't a God anyway. And, and that is much more where our culture is. And my generation uh, uh, that is popularly called the baby boomers was the first generation to be told explicitly, you're special, you're entitled, and to focus more on what we're owed than on what we owe. But there is no way around the gospel insistence that Jesus is Lord and I am not. And of course, the purpose of saying this is not that we can tell everybody else off, for tearing up God's boundaries. Jesus did not do that. We shouldn't either. The purpose of it is so that we can ask, is Jesus my Lord? Is Jesus my Lord? Do you need to have a conversation with God about that? Is it, is it crystal clear for you Jesus is Lord, and you are not. I have to come back to this time and time again, because intellectually, I get it. In my heart, I have to come back to it again and again and again, that Jesus is Lord, and therefore I am not. I'm not. It's not all about me. So the passage focuses on who Jesus is, what Jesus will do, and how it's all going to happen. And if he's Lord, then, says Isaiah, the government will be on his shoulders. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, that's a big claim. And it's not surprising that his hearers, when they heard it in that culture, were expecting another kingdom of King David and King Solomon, only bigger and better and without all the backsliding. They expected another golden age. But Jesus made it very clear it wasn't going to be like that. He told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. He told the disciples that the kingdom of God was within them. It's of the heart, the mind, the spirit, the community of those who want to follow Jesus together. And it's a powerful kingdom. Paul, who followed Jesus' heart and soul, he describes the kingdom of God like this. It's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of talk, but of power. God's kingdom puts things the way they should be. He makes us righteous through the cross. He upholds justice. He compared his kingdom to seeds, yeast, hidden treasure, and many, many parables about how it works. 
The kingdom of God's like a man who sowed his field, a king who gave money to his servants, a shepherd searching for sheep, a father forgiving a prodigal, and on and on and on. And as the kingdom of God develops, and and you see this very much in the book of Acts, there seems to be three stages. There's the waiting. You know, what's going to be the next thing? There's the waiting. You see this with Paul. He wants to go somewhere, uh, and he writes, well, we tried to go here, and it didn't work. And uh, then we tried to go there, and that didn't work either. And then we tried something else, and that didn't work either. And then God opened a door. A big, a big part of being a follower is being willing to wait. And another characteristic of our age is it's an instant age. You know, we, we want it now, forthwith, immediately, but, but now we'll do. We, we want it now, but a big part of God's kingdom is the waiting. You know, it's, it's been like that down through the ages. There is a waiting time. When you pray, you do what you can, but actually a door isn't open for you, so you wait. And then there's the working stage. Now that's, that's the stage where you kind of see what it is and you start working for it to happen. And that can be a long stage and sometimes discouraging. You know, there's been people in this room who've had a sense of a call from God and who've been working at it for a long, long time. And, and the key word there is Perseverance. All those Bible stories where, you know, it was 40 years and then this happened and it was many years and it was seven years and it was three years and it was two years. There are very few Bible stories that go and then five minutes later it all happened. But we tend to flatten that out when we read it. We tend to to kind of drop, drop the understanding. That's why there's so many agricultural metaphors in the Bible because it takes a long time. It takes a long time for a seed, you know, first of all, to germinate, needs the right conditions, uh, and then to grow up, and then just you know, start putting stuff out, and then flowers. It's all very beautiful. It takes a long time for the fruit to come. And then there's the watching stage, and, and that's the stage we love. And it's the stage which will surely come because of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. And that's when it all starts to happen. And those are the seasons and the times that every believer and all the churches love when you're just on a roll. And uh, I often think that the task of leadership in a time like that is to step back and look busy. Because because God's doing it, you know. I try and look busy, you know. Um, when I, when when there's a time like that, and you're on a roll, and it just it just happens, and you meet this person, and the conversation just starts, and you know it just happens. Whether it's for the whole church or for a community or a particular ministry or or something that you really really care about, there's just the watching, and it, it, you know you've done the waiting. You've done the working. And then you just watch because God is here. 
and he's doing it. And you can think when you're waiting that, you know, it's never going to happen. And you can think when you're working that it's never going to happen. But part of Jesus being Lord is that he's Lord of the harvest. And I feel that's, that's the word that he particularly wants you to take home with you today. And that is, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. And finally, how is it going to happen? Well, says Isaiah, it will happen because the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The energy, the motivation, the resources, the desire of the King of Heaven will accomplish this. And that is the encouraging part and the part that really brings me hope. Isaiah does not write, you know, really good church organisation will accomplish this. Not even, you know, any of the things that we're taught to do, faithful giving will accomplish this. Fervent intercession will accomplish this. Determination to be holy and lead a disciplined life will accomplish this. You know, all of those things are very good things. But the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We've just had the anniversary of the Reformation. I don't, I think it was last year, wasn't it? It kind of, it might have kind of slipped you by the 500th anniversary of um, Martin Luther nailing those, what is it, 99 theses, was it, to the, the door of Wittenberg Cathedral? I can't remember how many they were, but there were a lot of them. Sorry? 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg Cathedral and, you know, starting. Um, a tremendous move of God. And uh, for me, the encouragement about that anniversary is not particularly those actual battles that were fought then, but that the church was in a real mess. I mean, it really was in a real, real mess. And um, it's in much less of a mess now it was in a real, real mess now. We've still you know, got plenty of issues as we look at our worldwide church. But, but then it had really, really got stuck. And yet God could move. God could move. You know, the, the church then, they were still selling indulgences, you know, where you can pay to be forgiven. You know, the more you give, the more of your friends and family will go straight to heaven, who die, and you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, all the denominations have their, their blind spots, don't they? But I mean, the church really was in a mess. And, um, but God could move. Because when everything's been said and done, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Because he is Lord and I am not. And um, as we finish, um, I'd like us to get into groups of about three. It could be four. 
And if you are new or not comfortable uh, in doing this, please, please feel free to be a, a spectator. It is not compulsory. And i kind of got two things. If you need to submit to Jesus again, and you know that, just say that in your group. You don't need to say what it is you need to submit about. But there is a power in bringing things into the light. There is a power of honesty in the body of Christ, not trying to be anything that we're not. If you need to submit, just say, I need to submit, no more than that. And if you can identify whether you are waiting or working or watching, just do that and then we'll bless each other. Just, I mean, don't make a meal out of it. It's going to give a short amount of time for that to happen. But if you can identify that, just bless it.